We read about the martyrs for Christ in Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Welcome to Souls Under the Altar, a program that reviews the stories of God's persecuted from the past and the present. Your host for this program is Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for joining me on the program again. Today I'm pleased to have your company. And you know this program is dedicated to looking at those people who have been persecuted in the past, those who we look at who are being persecuted currently in many countries around the world. And we've had many interviews with many people. And today we're going to do something really special. This is a very special program. It is entitled... Religious Liberty Developments And the reason we've entitled it as such There's so many things happening in the world In different areas Whether it be a social, whether it be political Whether it be religious That all have a bearing and impact on us today And will also have in the future And as I've had discussions with people from Voice of the Martyrs You know that they've said time and time again They see warning clouds forming on the horizon In regards to religious freedom And also the uh, what they consider the impending persecution Of Christians even in first world countries well, today my special guest in the studio is Dr. Barry Harker. Dr. Barry Harker has written two books so far. The first book is called It's Sunday in America. And the second book was just recently released, so only a few months ago now. It is called What God is Like. Now, I know there's also a third book coming, and uh, that is building on both these books. So if you want to understand what we're discussing today, it'll be good to get your hands on these books. Both of them are available at 3ABN. And I think you can also buy them online. If you have a Kindle, you can you can have access to those books as well? Yes, through Amazon. Yeah. So welcome, Dr. Barry. Thank you. It's lovely to be back, actually. Yeah. Well, it's uh, you used to uh, run the program here at, uh, at 3ABN for radio. Yes. And uh, you did that for two years. And I, I think you've for been, two years, yeah. You've been absent for probably about four years now, have you? Three. Uh, three. Four, three years, yes. And uh, so... You've been writing books since you've left us. I've been writing books since <laughs> I left. In fact, I found it impossible to do while I was here. Fair so enough, I understand. essentially, I had to leave. To actually get them done Okay Well great let's, let's, let's start talking a little bit About what's currently happening What I'm excited about Is we've looked at um, Obviously persecutions in the past And we've looked at You know Stories of um, Fox's Book of Martyrs We also know that Prophecy tells us There will be persecutions In the future And then we've also Then of course Looked at present persecution Around the world Where we know There's about 100 million Christians On an annual basis That are persecuted And tens of thousands That actually lose their life for the cause of Christ and their faithfulness and fidelity to Christ. But as we read the book of Revelation, it seems like there will be a big issue about worship in the end time scenario. Now, when I look at the word worship or worshipped, I count about eight on Revelation 14 and Revelation 13. Eight times that that word is used. Five times in Revelation 13 and then also in Revelation 14. And for example, if we read in verse 15 of Revelation 13, it says, And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. 
And then, of course, they need to, to, to trade, for example, and they need to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. So there's some economic boycotts that take place there. There is actually a, a boycotts on, on, on all religious rights. And finally, there seems to be a death decree that is enacted as well. Now, as you look at the current environment, we've obviously done a lot of research regarding the current political climate, the social climate, and everything that's happening in the world. What do you currently see? Well, I guess if you look at uh, what you've just done in Revelation 13 and uh, 14, you discover there that the issue is a worldwide one. Mm. So we need to be looking at a worldwide perspective when we look at religious liberty. Right. But if you're going to have a worldwide situation like that, you're obviously going to be looking at some of the most powerful nations on the face of the earth. So you need to look at the religious liberty uh, environment in the United States, China, Russia, and Europe, and so forth. But if you look at uh, the preconditions for the sorts of things that Revelation talks about, then you have to have um, a destruction of the rights of individuals, particularly in the West. That's actually going to be essential. So one of the things that I think that's been quite alarming about 2018 is the rise of illiberal democracy. Illiberal democracy. Illiberal democracy. Okay. Okay, so we should start with a liberal democracy and work out what's going wrong. Sure. A liberal democracy is basically uh, economically a capitalist system, Mm -hmm. usually with the rule of law, parliamentary democracy, uh, individual freedoms, freedom of uh, speech, freedom of religion, freedom of expression and association and Mm. so forth. And uh, that's based around what you would see in the Western world. So, right. so, for example, the United States would be a good example of that. An illiberal democracy... And by the way, a liberal democracy has protections for minorities. Okay. So you would have constitutional protections mm. for minorities. So a liberal democracy is usually either a constitutional monarchy or a republic with a constitution that protects the rights of minorities, although the governments are actually determined by majority vote, for mm, example. Right, understand. But they protect the minorities. So it's and based it, on the rule of law and yeah. it is a religious and civil liberties yes. for all people. Yes, mm. separation of church and state. Yes. When you look at an illiberal democracy, you're looking at a democracy that remains essentially wedded to the concept that the majority rule although that's not always necessarily the case, and there were some examples uh, from 2018. But essentially the illiberal democracy either takes away, ignores the constitutional protections for minorities. So while the majority are having their way, then you have um, problems that might arise from the past. Like, for example, anti-Semitism is on the rise. Okay. So that would be um, a situation where the rights of the Jewish people mm. would be uh, traduced in some way. And so that is not – in other words, whenever you see an illiberal democracy, you're seeing the shell of the democracy, but you're not seeing the institutions work to protect everyone's rights okay. and interests. And so there are some examples from 2000 and. Um, 18, for example, if you look at uh, Hungary, hmm. Hungary is now an illiberal democracy. Now, these are not my words. You can go online and you can just find out okay. uh, what's been happening in Hungary. But essentially, Viktor Orban received less than 50% of the vote, but he governs two-thirds of the seats. Hmm. And so we would call that a gerrymander. Yeah. But one of the things that's accompanied this is 
cultural nationalism and also another one that comes with it is Christian heritage. And, and to understand what's happening, you have to understand the immigration crisis in Europe. So the, for example, the Polish and the, Hung- and the Hungarian governments say, we want cultural nationalism. We want our culture not to be diluted by immigration. And so cultural nationalism simply means that we take our culture and we defend it. Mm. And usually that's associated with something called Christian nationalism okay. or Christian heritage. Because if you're going to defend your culture and your culture has a large religious component, then Christian heritage becomes important, not only for sustaining your culture, but also for meeting the demands of the immigrant culture and the immigrant religion. And that's, of course, what we're seeing in Europe. And, and that's what we're seeing got in a, Europe. a Christian uh, heritage. Yes. Yeah. But as that's taken place, anti-Semitism's been on the rise again. So while you're trying to defend your culture and your heritage, you're at the same time excluding minorities that might have had a place in your society. Right. And so whenever you see an illiberal democracy developing, you can see that the rights of minorities are not going to be respected. Mm. And that's always bad news for religious liberty. Right. Because many, many people who um, get persecuted for their faith belong to minorities. And so illiberal democracies are a bad one. If you look at democracies worldwide, they're all under stress. Okay. And the issues are pretty similar. Mm. In fact... Um, there's a lecturer in government at Harvard University, Yasha Malk, who has said that he sees democracies deconsolidating because they're under stress, and he identifies three key areas that are stressing our democracies. The first one um, that I think would be really important to us is social media. Why is that, yeah, Why is that stressing our societies? Well, it's because in the past... Information has always flown through mainstream media, and so you can choose, you know, which paper you want to read. You know, one might be left, one might be right, and so forth. But generally, today, what's happening is through social media, people are breaking up into little silos that don't communicate with each other. Right. So the communication tends to be loud, and people sort of using megaphones and talking past each other. And that is breaking down the and putting stress on the institutions of democracy, uh, particularly the parliament mm. um, or other or other ministries that might um, uphold our culture. And so he's saying that social media is really putting us under stress. The other one is economic stagnation. When you think about it, uh, you've got lots of immigrants coming to your culture. People go, well, that's going to result in fewer job opportunities for me, fewer economic opportunities. As well, they're bringing a, you know, foreign culture and so forth. So people just want to push back against that. Yes. And we're seeing that right across the Western world. We're seeing it in the United States and we're seeing it in Europe. And we can mm. talk about that perhaps later or in another program. So there's stress on the cultures and on the institutions of the society. Mm. And so... The first one is social media. The second one is economic stagnation. And the third one he mentions as putting our democracies under stress is identity politics. And maybe we need to spend a little time unpacking that later. Yes. But those, okay. be good. But those are the three areas that are putting our, our democracies under stress. And he's saying it's so serious 
that we may almost already have passed the point of no return, that the democracies are destined to, to break down and that we have very little time to defend them and to restore them in a way that protects the rights of minorities particularly. Mm. So as you look at uh, democracy, and we're talking about liberal democracy, I mean, is that uh, a concept that's always been around or is that uh – What's the, the illiberal, Ill, illiberal democracy? Well, the liberal democracy. Well, the liberal democracy has been around for several hundred years. If you go mm. back to the English philosopher John Locke in the mm. late um, 17th century, uh, he had a tremendous influence, for example, on the uh, American Revolution. Mm. So when they established their, um, their polity back in the late um, 18th century, they took the ideas of Locke quite seriously. And so you had uh, individual liberties... Uh, freedom of freedom of religion, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom from persecution, freedom from un- unwarranted searches, and all those sorts of things that okay. that might have characterised the societies for some hundreds of years before in mm-hmm. Europe. So he was uh, he was one of the uh, fathers of modern liberal democracy. Another person would be Edmund Burke, who uh, was a conservative, an Irish conservative member in the British Parliament and uh, he had a lot to say about the French Revolution and where we saw the French Revolution was going. He was very pressing it. He, he actually identified early in the Reformation, in the Revolution where it was going. Right. Um, if you look in the 19th century, people like the uh, ph- uh, philosophers Bentham and Mill, uh, Mill particularly utilitarian, they were strong influences on the development of free trade, you know, capitalist system, uh, more benefit going to more people. You know, that was the measure of how well a, a society was doing. And so we in the West basically have liberal democracies. Australia has one, New Zealand, United States, Canada, Britain, uh, some on the continent. Right. Um, and, there are, and Japan and others, other places like that as well. So you have... This liberal democracy generally having constitutional protections for minorities, institutions that protect the rights of minorities, uh, a fair go for all so that um, everyone has equal opportunities in relationship to the economy, um, jobs in jobs in the government and so forth. Okay. Now, the, the other word you used there as we kicked off was illiberal democracy. So it still incorporates an element of democracy. Yes, but quite a different opposing perspective on it where the, the, all the things you mentioned before, there were the, the rights of the minority, the rights of people, and those freedoms that they typically would, uh, would be able to take for granted under a constitution are eroded. Yes. Can and you and ex- I, unpack that for yeah, us? Yeah, I th- well, I think that's, uh, that's a good way of putting it. Mm. If you look at – if you just go step back for a moment and you look at democracy generally, demo- um, generally democracy is an historical aberration. Okay. Very few times in history, very few places, including very few people, have actually lived under dem- liberal democracies. Mm. In fact, it's generally a modern concept. And there's no guarantee that it's going to be ultimately successful. For example, after the First World War, the Germans uh, got rid of their Kaiser or Caesar and uh, they embraced a liberal democracy. Well, it only lasted about 15 years. Right. Um, Hitler came to power. But he was voted into power 
but within a few months he's actually a dictator. Mm. And so you put enough stressful conditions on a democracy and it can break down. So the Weimar Republic tells us it's quite possible for that to take place. So when you're looking at the issue of uh, protections for minorities, yes, the liberal ones, the liberal democracies, protect them because they have constitutional protections. But you can ignore those protections or you can reinterpret them through the courts or whatever. But whatever you do, you can suddenly find a democracy a pretty unfriendly place if you're a minority, particularly a religious minority. Sure. Well, funny enough, we even see that in uh, in the USA where under the Bill of Rights, obviously, um, religious liberties is protected. But now, even in the last few years where um, same-sex marriage has been legalized, there's been people who've had to shut down their businesses because they couldn't function because they weren't prepared to, say, bake a cake for a same-sex marriage because it was against their religious beliefs. But because they were a public business, they didn't have the right to deny those people the ability to buy a cake from them for their same-sex marriage. And therefore, the constitutional rights which they thought would protect them was actually undermined now by um, the rights of the individual who had a very different worldview to them. To and the that's, why you, that's why you see the right mobilizing, mm. because they understand that their rights are being pushed at. And they're mobilising in response. So this comes right back to Mount's point about identity politics being one of the things that's striking at the heart of our democracy. And that's why we need to understand the links between identity politics and equality because that helps us understand what's going on even in our own society. Mm. For example, at the moment, um, we have a debate about um, what sort of limits should be placed on religious schools Mm. in relationship to their capacity to define for themselves who they want to have in their schools, for example, both students and also staff. Now, our constitution, section 116, gives us freedom of expression in relationship to religion. Yes. So when you actually see us having a debate about the limits of that religious liberty, you know that something has changed. Yeah. And so I, I personally feel that we need to remake the whole case for religious liberty in Australia. We've had it so good for so long mm. that when something comes along and puts our institutions under stress, it's almost like a flabby muscle that hasn't been exercised. We have to, we have to go back and rethink through the issues again. Mm. And so that's why I think when you start to see signs of illiberalism in a democracy, then you have to see that ultimately they can slide to a point where you have the same sorts of egregious things happen to religious minorities as would happen under a theocracy or an autocracy. Okay. So theocracy, can you just sort of explain to us what the theocracy is? Theocracy is is ruled by God. So usually that means rule by people who think they're working for God. Mm. And usually it means that the religion dominates the state. So there's a combination of church and state. There's very little distinction between church and state. Mm. But usually the religious principles are then governing how the, how the, uh, the state works. Okay. So in Christianity during the Dark Ages, there was obviously the religion controlling the state there. The, yes. the highest power was the church, yes. and the state was subservient to that, yes. and they enforced religious laws. Yes. So that's an example of that. And then also if we look at other religions, we know that there is a Sharia law in certain countries. So that is also a religion state kind of environment yes. where religion yes. dictates what, how the state enforces their laws. Yes. So you can even have in a, in a Christian country, for example, um, if the 
secularism becomes so extreme that religion is pushed to the margin or doesn't really have a seat at the table any longer, mm. and then you can have pretty much this, a situation where the state is also trying to govern the religion. So it's not just religion on the state, it's also the state on the religion. religion. Mm. As we have in communism, and we have examples of that in China, for example, where they determine who can and who can't be appointed as bishops, for example, for the Catholic Church, and also for any churches when they appoint leaders. They have to go through the um, church-appointed institutions for education, and in there, obviously, they, they teach a, a social a religious dogma which is not exactly what the Bible teaches. But unless you've graduated from there, you cannot become a teacher or a pastor within the, the sponsored uh, church there, which is communist-controlled. If you were to pick a place to be born mm. where your religious liberties were protected, you would basically pick one of the English-speaking countries post-Second yes. post World War. Mm. Because apart from those people who've come to our country who have experienced persecution, no one has been born here has really experienced that, that level of persecution that some people are doing around the world. And that's why sometimes because we become so familiar with it, we think that it's not so important. But if you go back historically and see what mm -hmm. it was like to live under a church and state, you realize that we have very, very precious freedoms in this country and that they ought to be protected. And that to let them go or to diminish them in any way or to put them under stress unnecessarily is not a very good thing for the society. It seems to me that knowing your history is very, very important because if you forget your history, you're destined to repeat the mistakes of the past, which our, our democracy, our liberal democracy has, has developed out of where people saw the issues and the mistakes and try to avoid those moving forwards. But we've lost sight of what's happened in the past. And even if I look at a biblical perspective, I mean, you look at the book of Deuteronomy and there Moses, for example, writes and God says, you will repeat the history of Israel's deliverance from Egypt to your children and they to their children. So you will not forget the Lord and, and his working in the past. And I believe, you know, the religious freedoms we have here is God given. That's obviously he was born out of the, uh, the Reformation. So the principles of Reformation, which is freedom from a pope and freedom from a king, was instituted into our constitutions. But now as we've forgotten the, um, the bad experiences and the persecution and everything that, that ensued from principles outside of that, where the church actually controls the state, we are now destined to actually return to those in a sense, and history will repeat itself. That's why history is such an important topic uh, in schools. We need to understand just how much it costs to develop the liberal democracy in which we live. Mm. Um, Really, the liberal democracies are only a couple of centuries old and they're now finding themselves under extreme stress because of the ideas that are being imported into the culture. And uh, one of the things that we could look at in a subsequent program is the whole internationalisation of the ideas that led to the French Revolution because they're the ideas that are actually putting our religious freedoms under stress. Right. Okay. And this is all around identity and equality. And if you see the framework, you can, you can just see the future shaping up before you. Mm. Uh, and you have some way of understanding then what's happening in your culture and what the significance of the developments are. And you are then in a better position to be, to be able to make decisions about what you're going to support and what you're not going to support in, yeah, that in, sounds, in the culture. Yeah, no, that sounds very interesting. So it's important for us to develop a framework to actually analyze what's going on around us because yes. – 
Uh, these things are not done in isolation, and there's a number of, I guess, forces and factions working counter to one another. Um, but if you put all these things together and you consider them, especially from a biblical framework, um, there's some really disturbing things taking place in our world at the moment. I mean, the change in the last few years in our society around the world in first world country or Western countries has been uh, significant. It has. And that's why the whole issue of um, illiberal versus liberal democracy is really quite a, um, a touchstone for understanding where our culture is going. And that's why we need to be really careful about uh, maintaining the quality of our institutions, ensuring that uh, we maintain a balance mm. between liberty and equality in our society. Okay, and we can unpack that in the next program unpack, a little bit? We can unpack that in the next program. Okay. But I think the other thing we need to understand is that when your divisions get so deep, so wide in your society and both sides of politics can't talk to each other anymore then you've got a recipe for disaster and this is where people reach out sometimes for something that's above politics this is really significant because in uh, 2018 David French a conservative commentator in America writing for National Review basically said the divisions are so deep now we we have to come together before it's too late. Mm. And he's really suggesting that we have a religious unity that transcends politics. Wow. Well, when I, hear, when I hear that, I think, yeah, it sounds nice. Mm. sounds like, okay, let's get rid of the divisions. But what's the cost of coming together? What's the cost of having a religious unity? Because there'll always be winners and there's going to be losers in that arrangement. That's right, yes. And this, and this again, it brings up the whole question of, well, is your democracy up to maintaining the rights and the freedoms of uh, minority groups. Mm. And we do obviously see big issues in the in the U.S. as we look at their pol- political arena between the Democrats and the Republicans. And even within the Republican Party, there's a lot of discord and disunity as well. Well, if you're going to talk about um, biblical prophecy, when mm. we looked at Revelation 13 and 14, eventually you're going to have to talk about what's happening in the United States because nothing is going to happen at a global level unless these large powers are involved. That's why it's important for us to understand what's happening in the American democracy and uh, the American constitutional democracy. Okay, great. Well, thank you for that. So we're we're just coming to the end of our program, but I just want to sort of uh, uh, capture what you spoke about in the beginning there. We spoke about illiberal democracy. Now, that was actually a new concept to me, that, that, that phrase, but it's a democracy without regard for the rights of minorities. Yes. Where you have a liberal democracy that guarantees freedoms for all people, yes. and you have equality sitting above liberty. Where now we're seeing a, a transformation or a change where now liberty is taking a role where it's actually superseding. Uh, well, we're looking at the issue of um, equality, equality over liberty, yes. and liberty over equality, which we can look at later. But really, the issue is when you have an illiberal democracy, it always portends bad things for minorities, particularly religious minorities. Great. Well, thank you for joining us in the program today. We are looking at religious liberty and the developments around the world and the impact it has for us and what we can actually glean from this for our current environment, what the opportunities for us to understand this and what can be done to reverse that, but ultimately also how this paints the picture which corresponds with the prophecies that we read in the book of Daniel and Revelation. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to catching up with you next time. God bless.
Thank you for joining us on Souls Under the Altar. If you'd like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you.